This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. This is Believe in Georgia Dogs podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. It's time to awaken an entire nation. I'll be a dog till I die. Between the hedges, look it fly. 90,000 in the stands, I'ma do my dance, make it look fine. Coach, put me in the game. UGA, yeah, the name. Yeah, the offense gonna turn up, but the defense gonna win us the game. Here's your host, Corey Burton. All right, welcome in to another edition, a Hunker Down Monday edition of the Believe in Georgia Dogs podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcasting network for professionals. I'm your host, Corey Burton. You can find the show on social media at Believe in Dogs on all platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook mostly. Uh, You can find me personally at Coach Burton 36 on Twitter. Uh, You can find me on LinkedIn as well. Uh, Corey Burton is uh, is the name. Also, anywhere you listen to your podcast, uh, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you wherever you get your podcast, find us, subscribe, like, uh, give us a rating. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. But uh, this show is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Did somebody say playoffs? Yes, the NBA, MLB, and NHL are in full swing, and our partners at BetOnline have you covered. Uh, they have me covered. I'm I'm excited to jump on and and see what they all have to offer. Um, I'm I'm hoping that I can find something good to bet on for uh, for my first bet. This will be this will be a new experience for me, but I'm I'm excited to figure out what uh, what they have to offer as far as betting lines and things like that. Um, and I'm stoked that they have an online casino because one of my favorite casino games is actually blackjack. So I'm gonna see how how well I do with that. So take full advantage of sports being back. And get in on the action with hundreds of odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. There's always the online casino as well. I'm going to hit that up. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and sign up to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Well, we're going to welcome on a very special guest today. Uh, He is the host of the Believe in the Game Plan podcast. If you haven't checked it out, uh, we're going to talk about or interested uh, in X's and O's and and hearing from uh, random or hearing not random, but various uh, young coaches from from around the profession. He's the guy to go to. Uh, I I must say that I listened to his show. I've heard several of his interviews. He does a tremendous job, and he's going to join us here today to talk about. uh, We're going to kind of break down what Georgia does. and what Todd Monken especially brings to the table as the new offensive coordinator. Uh, we're going to get an idea of, hopefully get an idea of what Georgia's identity could be. 
um, under Todd Monken and how he's going to use the weapons that he has at his disposal. Uh, mostly uh, James Cook will try to figure out and predict how uh, how we think we'll, he will use him. So without further ado, I'm going to let Nick tell you all of that stuff. He's going to join us here and uh, enjoy the interview and go dogs. Well, i got a special guest here on the Believe in Georgia Dogs podcast. He is Nick Trist. He is from, and you have probably heard him on the Believe in the Game Plan podcast. Nick, how are you doing today? Man, I'm doing really well, Corey. I appreciate you taking some time uh, to talk to me today. I know we had a little scheduling change earlier this morning, so I thank you, uh, thank you for being accommodating. Um, you know, it's going to be a, a different different thing. I'm, I'm kind of interested to talk from like a fan's perspective. You know, my podcast, like you mentioned, Believe in the Game Plan, it's really coaching-centered and coaching-focused. So, um, you know, I interview coaches, and we get really into the nuts and bolts and X and O's. But um, the reason I got into coaching is because I was a lifelong fan, obviously. So kind of to do talk from the other side of things is, is really exciting. Happy to be here. Absolutely. Happy to have you because I think you and I have similar perspectives. Um, you know, this this show comes from a – uh, coach and slash fan uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes I put my fan hat on when I talk and sometimes I put my coach hat on and and uh, I try to blend the two. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's easy. But um, so we're going to try to do that and, and take that. So uh, one of the things we were talking about off, you know, I guess off the record was uh, Jamie Newman. Uh, you're, you're a Clemson fan, I see. And uh, mm-hmm. you probably watched a lot of ACC football. Jamie Newman, of course, the grad transfer quarterback from Wake Forest. What you, I think you, you believe he's going to ultimately win the job. What does he bring to the table? Well, you know, as a coach, like you said, from our perspective and as a fan, I always look for situations like that that are really exciting um, and something I'm looking forward to just to see what, you know, I'll give you another example that's non-Georgia related. I'm super excited to see what the Patriots do with Cam Newton this year just because I think it's interesting from a coach's standpoint to see the best coach in football, you know, get a, get a guy like he's never had. That's kind of the same reason why I'm excited to see Newman at uh, Georgia this year. You know, traditionally Georgia's been kind of that pro style, under center, run first uh, offense, and I don't think much of that's going to change, however, but they will have a guy back there who's a little more dynamic than what they've had in years past. Um, You know, he adds an element in the run game that I guess Georgia fans really haven't seen except for, you know, the brief glimpses they got with Justin Fields while he was there. Um, You know, and if you think back on it too, there was kind of a time where Georgia would shy away from those dual threat, if you will, guys. Um, you know, it's long chronicled that they kind of missed out on Deshaun Watson or whatever because he wasn't a prototypical, you know, pro-style quarterback, their guy, um, you know, but a kid that was in state. So I think it's kind of just the next evolution in Georgia football. And like I said, uh, if I if I was the OC there, I, it would be a toy I'm really interested to play with. Um, most importantly, he, he's a smart kid and he takes care of the football. Um, I don't think you can overvalue. I think that's what will set him apart and give him the edge. I know you guys have a pretty talented quarterback room. Um, but what I think will separate him, you know, is he's just played a lot of reps. And like I said, he takes care of the ball. He adds an element to the offense that you don't traditionally see at the University of Georgia. So um, it should be an exciting time. And I'm really, really interested to see what you guys' offense will look like this year. Well, let's uh, let's put that hypothetical into motion here. Let's, let's say, for, for instance, uh, Todd Monken is out. They hire Nick Trist as the offensive coordinator. And uh, you have Jamie Newman. What, what what are you implementing in the run game? So, you know, we'll, we'll, of course you know this coaching ball, but we'll, we'll go really baseline with it. The reason why a quarterback who runs the football can be a good element to have in your offense is it comes down to numbers. Um, so your numbers against them, their numbers. How many guys do I have to block versus how many guys do you have in the box? And as an offensive coordinator, our whole job is just trying to take advantage of numbers in space. 
um, whether it be in the pass game or the run game. And when you have a versatile guy back there, it just gives you a plus one advantage you wouldn't traditionally have with a uh, immobile quarterback back there. Um, so, you know, I would and it, I don't know how much familiar you are with the Wake Forest offense, but, you know, when people think about Wake Forest, it's not a big traditional powerhouse. Um, but their scheme is super sound and they're kind of a it's kind of a buzzy topic uh, with the coaching community. A lot of people are sharing Wake Forest films, studying that tape because they do a lot of unique things. So um, he's played in, you know, in a, a very unique up-tempo offense. Everybody's familiar with the RPO, but Wake Forest takes us a step further. They kind of slow play RPOs. Um, I don't know if Georgia will steal any of that because Newman has his experience, but it's something to look out for. Um, you know, they'll just really be slow on that, on that mesh with the inside zone, which everybody runs. We all see it. Um, they'll be real slow with it, so it gives that time to develop for the RPOs. It's really unique, and it's kind of hard to explain. You'd have to really see a clip of it. Um, it looks like they're almost running in slow motion, but it's but it's purposeful. Um, and that's just to give – you know, we're always looking for wrinkles to throw in there. So um, I'm interested to see what Georgia will do tempo-wise. Um, that's one thing I think Georgia has been a little behind the eight ball in as far as the rest of the country is concerned. Um, I would like to see him incorporate a little bit of that. And, you know, if I had the job, that's something I would probably bring. Um, which, of course, they're familiar with. They see it. You know, Auburn is a big rival, and they kind of put the trademark on the up-tempo smash-mouth spread offense. But, you know, I hear a lot of a lot of my friends I grew up with. Obviously, I grew up in Savannah. They're huge Georgia fans. So, you know, I hear a lot of criticism, you know, how it goes in coaching. Everybody wants to criticize, and, you know, especially Georgia fans, they're, they're, they expect a lot and have high expectations. So, I've heard some guys get crucified. You know, James Coley, for instance, last year as the offense, uh, as the OC, took a lot of criticism. But you know, as a guy who had did have a, a veteran quarterback, but he was replacing a ton of skilled players. Um, I think he did a pretty good job. Um, every time I watched Georgia last year, I thought they, you know, I liked the play calling. I liked what they were trying to do. I liked that they had an identity. Um, so I wouldn't try to stray too much from that because I mean, when you think about Georgia football, you think about running the football. You think about great running backs. Um, you're thinking about sound pro style offense. So even if I was to ever get a job like that, you don't want to stray too far away from, you know, the DNA of your program. So it would be similar, but like I said, you can inject some of that new age stuff. And I think Newman would be a perfect guy to do that with. Well, absolutely. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's go back to Todd Monken and uh, he's, he's more, he, you know, the best word to describe him is chameleon. And I think he kind of just, uh, he's somebody that'll go in and figure out kind of where the strengths lie personnel wise. And then he will kind of mold his stuff to it. So, like, when he took over Southern Miss, you know, you, you have a running back, Edo Smith, and you had a couple good receivers. So they featured Edo Smith in a lot of creative different ways. When you, you know, you go to uh, Oklahoma State, they're flinging the ball around the field because you have Des Bryant, Justin Blackman, Brandon Weed, and you have, yep. you know, you have a bunch of receivers and you're probably more in 10 personnel uh, most of the time and with, with some zone running and, uh, sometimes get into uh, eleven or twenty personnel and, and do some downhill uh, out of the, out of spread set. So um, I, I think what's going to happen is is he's going to come in and he sees that James Cook is sitting there, who is a dynamic weapon that can be used in all facets of the offense. You have Definitely. you have a very green receiver room, which is very unproven. A lot of talent in there. Um, outside of George Pickens, is a very uh, unproven room and you don't know what you're going to get and probably going to have to rely on a few freshmen uh, again you're going to have um, a quarterback that is a veteran from another place uh, another quarterback that's been battling injuries but has also had start start times and then you have a, a guy that no one ever thought was going to get to play again due to 
having brain surgery, and then you have uh, a, a talented freshman coming in. So a great quarterback room, a, a fairly veteran experienced, uh, albeit not all starting experience, but uh, some playing experience along the offensive line um, helps as well. So what do you think Todd Monken is going to do to kind of navigate all that stuff, all of those factors? Well, like you said, you know, he is a little bit of a chameleon. I think the biggest question mark about him is it's been a, he's been away from college football for a while. I think his last year at Southern Miss was, what, 2014, 2013, I think. So it's been a few yeah. years. I, I know. Yeah, 2014, yeah. 15, something like that. Yeah, and I know he was the uh, – you know, so last year he was the OC with the Browns. He got really familiar with, I would say, you know, the culture of Georgia football with Nick Chubb. Um, obviously, he had a great season under Monken. Um, so he knows all about those Georgia running backs um, already. So that, I think that's something that will help him. And then if you go back to his time at Tampa Bay, you know, his last year there, they led the league in passing yards. So like you said, kind of adjusts on the fly, um, has been a guy who will ground and pound you or who will throw it all over the yard if need be. Um, you touched on another thing I was going to bring up too, is I, I really am excited to see how he helps uh, Pickens develop, who I think is a phenomenal talent. You know, um, I think he had a great freshman season. A little banged up at times, if I remember correctly, right? Missed some games, missed mm-hmm. a little bit of time. So you, you'd like to see him get a full season under his belt. Um, you know, a, a guy who coaches running backs for me at my last school at Allen University, big Georgia fan, I'll tell you what he said. He said that uh, he thinks it's the best Georgia – he thinks he's better than A.J. Green was as a freshman, which I told him I think is high praise. But, you know, like very talented guy. And like I said, Monken had a lot of success with Justin Blackman specifically. I think it was his first year at Oklahoma State. Um, helping develop him into one of the, you know, all-time leading receivers in college football history. So I think that's a guy to keep an eye on as far as development, especially in year two, and I expect him to make a big jump. Uh, so, you know, and like I said, I, it, it makes sense that Georgia would go to the NFL ranks to get a, to get a coordinator because they've always been kind of a pro-style offense. Um, so I wasn't too surprised by that. But like I said, if I had any question marks about Monken, it would be that he'd been away from college football for a while and the game evolves really quickly. And especially recruiting, you know, that's something you got to, it's like, it's like a jump shot. If you don't take reps of it, you know, you'll get worse at it. So, but I'm sure Georgia, you know, Georgia's obviously been recruiting at at one of the highest clips in the country. So um, I don't think they would put a guy on staff who couldn't recruit, you know? So I think that that question will be pretty alleviated pretty soon. Yeah. I mean, they've got things in place to, to kind of help bring Monken along in the recruiting game. So um, talking about George Pickens, uh, a guy that, that is just so electric, um, but what's behind him is, uh, Dominic Blaylock just got cleared for for ACL surgery. He was starting to come on uh, towards the end of last year. I had a really strong game against Auburn. Uh, Kyrus Jackson, another guy that also looks to factor in the special teams. Um, and then you have a, a trio of freshmen who Arian Smith had. Uh, he's having shoulder surgery, so I, I don't think he'll be a factor this year. He'll probably end up taking a red shirt, uh, and I think he'll miss the the year. But Jermaine, I've I've been reading Jermaine Burton. Uh, has been the uh, the standout in camp, and of course you have Marcus Roseme who comes in as a four star from St. Thomas Aquinas. So you have a group of un- unproven receivers paired with probably one of the uh, one of the best receiver talents to ever come through Georgia, um, and that's pretty good company. What kind of passing concepts do you it, it, do you, would you employ to to help bring those guys along? So you know, as as far as it, that goes. I think the most important thing is really quarterback. So, you know, I play – I coach at a small college level, obviously, so I don't get to pick from the cream of the crop like Georgia. So it's a little different in my shoes. Um, you know, I never want to put more on the quarterback than what he can handle, and I kind of uh, build my system around the quarterback as opposed to vice versa and trying to plug, like you said, a square peg into a round hole. Um, so I'll just try to take advantage of what they can do well and limit what they don't do well. Um, 
So when you look at Pickens, the thing you, you said, too, in the wide receiver group is it looks like they have a, a good, you know, distribution of skills. You got some guys who can be explosive in the, in the slot. So some ways I like to use them is stuff, you know, I like to get the ball out to them quick on bubble screens, uh, tunnel screens, blocking downfield. Um, a big key in my offense, too, and that I love is a guy who can own the middle of the field. Um, some guys do that from the slot. Some guys do it from the outside. But I think that's – that's a very lost art too today in today's game. Um, it takes a different type of cat that'll go in the middle and catch the football, especially playing in the SEC where they're flying around and you got everybody's got, you know, NFL draft picks at linebackers. So uh, it takes a different type of cat. You got to be physical and got to want to to go across the middle of the field. So I think the biggest thing as an offensive coordinator is fitting the pieces to the puzzle, you know, that'll best complement what they do. Um, so Pickens is a guy, like you said, you know, super talented. You're not going to get guys like him all the time. You can pretty much ask him to do whatever. He can beat you underneath. He can beat you over the top. He can beat you intermediately. He can get himself open with speed, or he can, you know, he can get himself open with elusiveness and just his route running technique. That's rare. Other guys maybe have one or two of those qualities, so you find ways that you want to uh, to really, to, to you know, put them in situations to be successful. So um, I would imagine, too, you know, one difference NFL style offenses to college offenses that Georgia fans might want to be on the look for this year um, in his offenses, there's a lot more side adjustments and conversions. And what a side adjustment or a route conversion means, obviously, is so we're running a route if a defense does something or if they do something else. So, an easy example uh, is, you know, if uh, the middle of the field's open or closed, traditionally in football, there's either one high safety or there's two. Um, and you'll have a route based on what structure the defense gives you. So if they come out with two high safeties, I'm running a post, you know, inside of the safeties. Whereas if it's one high, I'm going to stay down the seam. So I think you'll see a lot more detailed kind of route conversion stuff uh, at the Georgia offense. And I think that'll actually be probably the biggest adjustment for Newman too. You know, Wake Forest is more of a college style offense where they're eliminating, you know, half of the field. You're really only reading one guy. Um, you're not really too many times taking a seven-step drop and going through progressions one to two to three to four like you'll see in the NFL game. Um, so I think, if anything, it'll definitely help prepare him for a potential NFL career. But that will probably be the biggest adjustment, I would imagine, for him going from scheme to scheme. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely something that, you know, he'll have to get better at uh, coming from that offense, and that's going to take some time. And, you know, that there's, there's some good uh, – defensive uh, scout team guys I mean your your scout team at Georgia on defense could probably start for half of the half of the Sun Belt so um, that's uh, you know that's something good that'll, that'll help him get those reads so when you're making those reads and things like that how much latitude do you think you'll have at the line of scrimmage not only to make side adjustments but to to check out of plays and check you in a good place well you know if so it's tough to say because I don't know the kid personally, um, but I know in the NFL, so which is what Mike is coming from, quarterbacks, believe it or not, pretty much have full full freedom to audible and check to whatever. Um, well, those guys are professionals. They're getting paid millions of dollars, and it's a job. A little bit different, of course, it's a job at the college football level, and these guys are putting in tons of hours. That's not what I'm trying to say. But, you know, it just really depends. And it's like you said, he's coming from a new system. It's an unknown – this has been the weirdest offseason in the history of football. We've never had one like it. So that'll that'll definitely have some effects. It'll affect everybody in the ways that how it will be to be determined. But one of the ways I could imagine impacting it is a limitation of what you're asking about, you know, just because of pure time and familiarity with each other. 
um, Monka may not develop that trust. Or, you know, I've had guys where they earned my trust and I knew I could put that stuff on them right away. It kind of just varies on the guy. But everything I've known about Newman, I would expect him to have a lot of freedom. I know in Wake Forest, you know, they ran a lot of, well, you know, like pre-snap RPOs, if you will, where uh, if you get this look, we're running this play. Or if the defense checks to this, we're checking to that. They do a ton of that. So I would expect them to still do stuff like that. But as far as full freedom, with it being Monken's first year, his first year, and with the coronavirus offseason, you know, I think maybe some of that decision-making – we can always do this as an offense coordinator and take that from the quarterback and put it in our hands. So we're still making the same decisions, what side of the field to work and everything, but simply they do it by like checking back to the sideline. You know, that's one thing you, you, you can always do to limit that. So, <clears throat> but you know, I think that grows over time. Um, I would say probably not as much as Fromm had last year who had been mm -hmm. there, you know, three year starter. Um, who, by the way, I'm just going to say it, <laughs> man, I hated to see Georgia fans slander Jake Fromm. Uh, you know, I saw a lot of it last year um, and just such a great kid, such a great leader. Uh, I was fortunate enough to work with him a bunch of times at high school, seven on seven camps and tournaments and stuff. And just, man, I mean, the kid embodies everything you want in a leader. So I think no matter what your opinions were on Jake Fromm, it's hard to replace a guy like that. Um, so Newman, Daniels, all those guys, they have big shoes to fill. And it will be different, even though the guys are still veterans. I wouldn't expect them to have the same, you know, leeway as far as that's concerned. Uh, as a three-year starting junior quarterback did. Okay. Well, that's, uh, you know, that's certainly something to consider as far as years with the program, years with Monken, and how much trust. I mean, trust is a big issue. So um, let's talk screens a little bit, okay? You have, um, you know, I think a, a big part of the pro game is the double. Uh, when you go 20 personnel is the double uh, running back slow screen type deals. Like a, if they do this, then throw this, throw this mm -hmm. screen, or if they – you know, if if they bite on this one, then then you have this other slow screen coming back on the other side with the with the other running back. So, um, how much of how much of the pro style type uh, read screens, like a screen screen option type uh, series, do you think Georgia employs, especially with this talented of a running back room as they have? I think that's something that's huge and that Georgia's always done a really good job with is getting their running backs involved in the passing game. Um, and like you said, when you have guys like James Cook, um, guys who can do things after the catch, I think that's that's a huge part of their offense. Um, Wake Forest was a huge screen team, so they know uh, Newman knows how to execute it. Um, so I, I would expect to see a ton of that. Um, and, you know, sometimes I hear, you know, college football fans, not just Georgia fans specifically, but they're like, oh, man, I see this bubble every time, and it doesn't, you know, we get three or four yards and we throw it ten times a game. Well, there's a reason for that. <laughs> you know, it's not they're not just doing it willy-nilly. Like, they're doing it based on looks and certain things. So I think that's a big part of the screen game. You know, it's evolved. Um Obviously, Georgia fans are familiar with a triple option attack, like Paul Johnson runs or, you know, used to run at Georgia Tech. Um, but now, nowadays in 2020, uh, part of the triple option game is screens. So say we've got three receivers to our left and we're running the inside zone to the right. Well, we're reading the defensive end, and if we get a pull read from our quarterback, well, okay, that's, that's the first option, so I pulled it. And then now my eyes go immediately to the flat defender over those three receivers. If he comes to attack me and take the run, I can throw the ball out there on the bubble screen. And to me and to a lot of coaches, we just treat that as the pitch man in the triple option. So it's kind of like a new school, modern triple option. I would, I would expect to see a ton of that. Um, and I would expect to see a ton of, you know, another difference NFL-style offenses to, you know, what people think of more common college offenses – um, is it a quarter is they package things together so say I have two receivers to each side of the field and I have one back in the backfield 
Um, they'll do things like they'll have a pass concept to the left, pass concept to the right, and a, and a, um, and a run called as well. Um, and then based on the look, and like we talked about earlier, based on the trust of the quarterback, they'll either get the quarterback to get him into the right look based on what the defense gives them, or they'll check to the sideline and then go to execute whatever concept is called. Um, and the quarterback will obviously, if you ever hear him barking at the offensive line, that's what they're doing. They're communicating or they're, they're changing up or they're calling things out. So I know uh, that'll be, it'll be interesting with uh, only, you know, 20% fans in the stands. I wonder if, uh, you know, fans will get more of a taste of what all the type of communication that goes on. Um, I, guarantee, I guarantee you they will. I guarantee you they will. I, I think these networks are going to start putting mic- microphones down there. I mean, you see it with PGA, you're hearing so much more, uh, of what the players are saying. You hear yeah. it in basketball now. Um, you I, hear those guys. I wish they would really lean into it. I mean, I know you and I may be in the minority because we're coaches and we love to hear that stuff. I wish they would lean into it more. Like, I hate the fake crowd noise. I don't know what your opinion is on that in sports, but I hate it. So I'd rather hear the chatter. I'd rather hear the pads popping, the calls. Mm-hmm. But maybe we're in the minority, you know. So um, yeah, I, I mean, get... I'm both ways on it. I, I think yeah. sometimes, like in baseball, I think you do need that ambient noise of, of the crowd. Um, I think basketball, it's kind of stupid um, because you have the Oregon player and you're just, I mean, you don't really need a crowd to watch basketball. Uh, PGA, obviously, it's, you know, when they hit a big putt, sometimes it's cool to hear the crowd go. But, you know, you can't really fake that if there's nobody there. And then uh, for football, it'll be interesting because, you know, it, it'll make you feel, it'll make the game feel a little bit more intimate. If there's no crowd noise, you'll hear checks, you'll hear coaches screaming, you'll hear pads popping even more, you'll hear some trash talk, especially if they keep the same microphones at field level that they normally do, which I think they will, and I think that will enhance viewers. Yeah, I mean, if you remember, too, the XFL, uh, that was I loved it, man. I was eating that stuff up. It was a football nerd's dream. They mm-hmm. were cutting into the headsets and everything. I mean, you're hearing terminology, play calls, checks, I mean, everything. So, um, and you know, I think people responded to that well, and like you said, it's a – they're going to be trying stuff. You know, it's going to be a different viewing experience. So hopefully they try that. Hopefully people like and we get it because I'm here for all of it. Yeah, I am too. I, I hope we get that level of access where we're hearing play calls and just hearing, you know, as a coach and as an offensive coach, I, I, I do like hearing how uh, people call different people call uh, formations and runs and concepts and stuff like that. So um, there's a million different ways to call the same play. And, and I, that, that always interests me as far as the language of it goes. So, and that's just from the coaching perspective of it. And that's my, that's my coach hat that I'm wearing right now. So, for sure. Um, but Nick, uh, you know, one of the, one of the big trends and, and I heard when I heard your interview with Deandre McDaniel mm-hmm. and I, I heard you enter, I heard you ask him about the, uh, the, the three safety concept. Now, I, what I see a lot of times with the, with the three high safeties is you'll mm-hmm. see what Georgia calls the mint front. Uh, yeah. which is which is uh, a tight odd front where you have your uh, tackles who are normally head up of your offensive tackles uh, face to face now they are uh, either in four eye which which is inside eye of the tackle or sometimes they even drop them down into three techniques on the guards and then they they uh, they take the the inside backers and and stack them over the three techniques and then they have the out the the backers have outside flow and, and, and the C gaps. So um talk me through like that's kind of becoming the new the new trend on defense. Why is it a trend and, and how do we beat it? Yeah, I can't remember what episode it was, but uh, it was a few of them ago too on the podcast. I was talking with another offensive coordinator um, and we had a few similar opponents on our schedule and we talked about the same thing, how that they call it the mint front. A lot of people call it a tight front. That's really it's kind of replaced a uh, an even front, which fans may be familiar with, which is, you know, 
a three technique B gap nose, uh, a shaded nose or a tackle, a shaded nose and two five technique ends. Um, that, that was kind of the most popular front for a long, long time. And like you said, now the, the, uh, the tight fronts kind of replaced it. And as an offensive coordinator, we all had to kind of adjust a little bit. What, what really, like you said, you touched on this, what makes that front so tough to block is on those four eyes, those guys who are inside of our offensive tackles on their shoulders. They make that really hard double team or down block. Um, so instead of having two spaced out defensive linemen where I could get two doubles on almost any play as long as I ran, you know, a concept the way I needed to run it, um, now it eliminates a lot of your double teams. Um, so that's – and like like you said, it's uh, – it I think it frees up your other linebackers too because they don't have to worry about that B gap so much. They can just be spill players. Mm-hmm. Um, so you expect to see more and more of that. I think it will be the number one front you see um, in college football this year. It kind of already started taking over last year a little bit, but I think it would be even more so ramped up this year. Um, and, and it's tough. And you can also – you can get really exotic um, out of it. You know, you a lot of blitz packages you can build off of that. Um, those outside linebackers, especially like the guys Georgia have, uh, can be so versatile. Um, they can be problems on the edge or they can go cover the flat. Um, so it's just uh, – it's tough, man. And if, if you're a fan of defensive football, it's no better time than to be a fan of the Georgia defense because, I mean, schematically, being sound, I mean, they're one of the tops in the country for a reason. Um, you know, I grew up – you know, grew up a Clemson fan in Georgia territory, so uh, – this is probably the nicest I've ever been to the University of Georgia for this long. It was obviously a big rivalry growing up uh, when I was a kid. But like you said, coaching kind of changed my perspective of that. Now um, now I just pull for everybody. I mean, so many of these kids on the team, I have friends who coached in high school or I, I, I'm entangled with them some way. So um, there's no malice anymore. That rivalry part of it, those days are over with. So now I just kind of, like I said, pull for everybody to be successful. And a lot of my friends love Georgia, so I want to see them be successful too. And I love Kirby Smart, man. He's just a guy. I, he, he has an infectious personality, infectious attitude. I mean, he just gets me pumped up, man. Everything I've seen from him, any behind-the-scenes clips at practice, he's just the type of dude you'd want to work and play for. Um, I think, you know, like you said earlier, I'm a big Clemson fan. We're blessed to have that with Dabo Sweeney as well, guy leading the charge. It's, you know, a fantastic role model. But, man, I, I love Kirby. Like I said, he would be – if I had if I was an AD and had to hire a guy, it would be one of my first calls in the country. Um he just gets me jacked up for football, man. I think that's a big part of our job. Absolutely. I mean, that's just, you know, motivating not only the, the athletes, but motivating the, the people on your staff as well and just, you know, making them excited to come to work. And Kirby does a tremendous job of that because I think part of what he does is um, even though he leaves no detail unturned, I don't think he's a micromanager. I think he's somebody that is going to hold you to a high standard, but he's going to let you do what you need to do to get to that standard. And if for whatever reason you're not getting to that standard, then, you know, you had that conversation of whether or not you should, you know, stick around. But, uh, you know, you always play to the standard. And he always says, play to the standard, play to the standard. You know, we're going to play to the standard. We didn't play to the standard. Okay, we played to the standard. Okay, we're they're they're not worried about opponent. They're worried about a standard that they have. And I think that's helped. I think that's helped them win uh, however many. I think three division titles in a row looking for number four. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it just uh, also has a leg up in recruiting. I think that's something that they, they take pride in and, and stuff like that. So, um, but I going back to your comment about being excited about watching this Georgia defense, I think what makes it unique is that they have leaders at each level in each position room that are 
not only veteran guys and do things the right way, but they are also big time playmakers. Like you, let's go into the DB room. You have Richard LeCount, Eric Stokes. Those two guys are going to play on Sundays and play and have a long career. Uh, you go to the linebacker room. I don't know uh, where he fits in NFL wise, but Monty Rice is is about as good of a leader as you can and about as good of a Mike linebacker you can have against the run. Uh, a prototype Georgia player too, just hard nosed, blue collar. Mm-hmm. You know, doesn't make mistakes. I mean, just he's what you think of when you think of a Georgia inside linebacker. Absolutely. I mean, he's he's downhill and he's hitting you in the mouth. On the defensive line, you have Jordan Davis, and also you have Malik Herring uh, in that D line room. Uh, you know, Trayvon Walker, Ups Trayvon Walker, Upson Lee. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So my my, my my mom's a receptionist at Upson Lee High School. So that's uh, and that's where my little brother he's a freshman, so he's playing high school football for the first time ever. So oh, I had wow. to give I had to give Trayvon a little love and uh, Quay Walker is a guy I think you'll see a little more of this mm-hmm. year. Uh, I'm really good friends with the Chris County staff. I love Coach Brad Harbor, the head coach down there. Um, yes. He's a Chris County product. A freak prototype athlete. Oh, yeah. um, so I think you'll see a lot more Quay Walker this season. He'll be kind of a more of a household name for the yeah, I mean, Bulldogs, I would it, imagine. You know, think about this. Uh, if you sub out Monty Rice, you have a combination of Quay Walker and N'Kobe Dean, which I think mm-hmm. might be the most athletic uh, inside linebacker pairing you could get. Uh, Nolan Smith is somebody who uh, is going to wreak havoc and, and one of those versatile guys that can cover the flat and rush the passer all at the same. Aziz Ojolari, Five and a half sacks uh, from a, a year ago. Somebody that's a force in the uh, in in the tight run game. He's kind of one of the he's he's the edge linebacker uh, that you have. So a lot of different personnel mm-hmm. can do a lot of different things to beat you. Um, let's not sell DJ Daniels short, short at the cornerback position. Let's not sell Tyreek Stevenson, um, Tyson Campbell, uh, Louis Louis Seen. You know the, all all those DBs are highly talented and out. And I think because Kirby rotated what 25 guys on that side of the ball um i think they had 25 guys get 100 snaps even played a lot of snaps yeah it's important Um, so you got a lot of experience and and i think that that factors in and not necessarily starting experience but any experience is good when you're playing an sec schedule so um you know talk to me about you know what that means um what you can do coverage wise when you have guys that that can uh that have played a lot of snaps so, you know, the, the whole argument behind being an odd front, def- uh, you know, going odd instead of an even front defense is you get an extra athlete on the field as opposed to a down lineman. Um, and just like we talked about with quarterbacks uh, who can run the ball, that lets you manipulate numbers a little bit better. Like mm-hmm. you said, you, you, when, you, when you got two guys at those outside linebacker spots who, who are very versatile, who have to be edge defenders in the run game, um, that's, if they can't do that, they can't play at those spots. So it really starts there. They got to be able to stop the run and fill and be those force players. Um, and then everything else is kind of icing on the cake. If you have a guy that can rush the passer, okay, we can move him around. We can get him into spots where he can be successful doing that. Um, you know, Georgia's a big uh, – they're not as big of a blitz team as some might think because they get pressure with their front a lot. Um, so they don't have to bring more than four too often. Um, but when they do, you know, they, they mix it up as, as good as anybody in the country. Um, you know, I, I studied uh, some of their blitz packages, and the stuff they do from the boundary is really tough on offenses. Um, the boundary being the short side of the field. Um, it's just tougher. It's a shorter path to the quarterback. Uh, a lot of offenses, especially in college football, are focused on the field, you know, so they're sliding that way. They have their strength set that way or whatever, and you bring that boundary backside pressure. Um, and also, if you got a right-handed quarterback and the boundary's to the left, uh, he can't see you, you know. So 
Um, they create a lot of havoc on that backside. Um, and I think another thing they do that Kirby definitely learned from his time at Alabama um, is disguising coverage. Um, like, like we talked about when we first started talking about quarterback play, every snap for my quarterback in my offense starts with identifying the safety structure um, and then checking cornerbacks and linebacker alignments. And I would say in small college football, high school, you can tell what the coverage is going to be nine out of ten times pre-snap. Um, what the really elite defenses do in the SEC, Clemson does a great job at it too. A uh, couple of the, you know, all the guys who are playing defense at a high level in college football, what they do is disguise things. So they'll make it look like cover two pre-snap and then right as you're going to snap the ball or as you're checking to the sideline or communicating with your offensive line, they'll roll the safety down and they're playing cover three. Um, and as I told you earlier, that's how we base our whole pass game. So if you change that up late, now my quarterback has to adjust. Or if you change that up late, now my receivers who had, like we talked about earlier, side adjustments based on coverage, now they're getting confused. Um, you know, they can make something look like zone and play man, or they can make something look like zone and play – or make something look like man and play zone. Um, it's just one more element of confusion to create in an offense. But the biggest principle on defense, I mean – you know, we dress it up and we make it look cute and we uh, sometimes we outcoach ourselves on that side of the ball, but it's being fundamentally sound. You know, I got the A gap, so I'm going to play the A gap. I got the B gap, so I'm playing the B gap. It takes all 11 guys. Um, it's a thing of beauty to watch Georgia fit, run fits on defense. You know, they do it as good as anybody. I think it was probably the toughest defense to run the football on last year. You guys finished number one in rush mm -hmm. defense, I believe, right? Finished number one in like – Scoring defense, rush defense. Yep. There wasn't a rushing touchdown until the Auburn game. Yeah, I remember and, that. Yep. And that, that was the only one. That was one of the few. That was after our season had concluded. So I actually got to sit down and watch that whole game. You know, sometimes it's tough to keep up with it in season when we're playing on Saturdays. So, um, but like I said, one of my, my right-hand guy was a big Georgia fan. So if we had time off or if we were done on Saturdays, we usually had two TVs fired up. One was on Clemson, one was on Georgia. So if there's any two teams I did check out play a lot, it, it was those two. Mm -hmm. Um but, I mean, I mean, if and that's the biggest thing. I mean, if I was a head coach anywhere in a bubble and it's like a fantasy draft situation and they say, hey, you can have one thing that you want to do well as a team to start your career off, it's stopping the run. If you stop the run, you have a chance to win. You'll at least be – you'll never get blown out. If a team can't run the football on you, they're not going to blow you out. Um, you can always stay in the game. You can make it tough on them. So that would, that's the number one quality I think you got to have to win championships is being able to stop the run. Um, when you look at Clemson, the program I'm most familiar with and grew up a big fan of, when things changed for Clemson is when their interior players started to match the talent of their skill players. They always had good receivers, good quarter, you know, a couple good quarterbacks, good running backs. But when they started getting NFL offensive and defensive linemen uh, at a high clip like Georgia does as well, that's when they really went to the next, you know, upper echelon of college football. Absolutely. And I, I think to win in the SEC and to, to win against elite defenses and elite competition – um, now flipping back over to the offensive perspective is I think you need to be able to play good complementary football. And what I mean by that is your mm -hmm. pass game should help your run game and your run game should help your pass game. And, and I think that's something that good elite offensive coordinators use to keep uh, defenses off balance. And, and, you know, going back to, to James Coley is I, I think where he went wrong and I think where it kind of went south on him is I think he lost that balance of being able to play complementary football and it doesn't help when Jake Fromm went into a slump. Uh, James Coley, I don't think, knew how to get him out of the slump. And then you know, you just saw the offense that was just a mess until the Sugar Bowl. So uh, complimentary football, what, you know, what are some things you do um, in the pass game to help your run game and vice versa? 
Well, you know, I've kind of think that's one thing. That's one of the things that I think is the biggest misconception um, sometimes about about when people talk about balance. And I actually kind of rethought about the way I think about it from Mike Leach. Uh, he, he explained it this way. Some people would think when you talk balance, you're thinking, okay, you run half the time and you throw half the time. That's not mm -hmm. a good way to look at it. A good way to look at it is I have five eligible skill players on every play. True balance is being able to get the ball to any one of them in an effective manner on any snap. That's what being balanced is to me. So there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat. Um, you know, you can you can be a balanced offense and be Navy and run the ball 90% of the time. And I, it might sound weird to say that, but it's because – you don't know if you're gonna if you're gonna get there up the edge in the middle. You know they have an ability to hurt you all over the field on any snap. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing is taking advantage of space. Um, I think one thing too, if there's anything I think that's keeping the Kirby Smart era Georgia Bulldogs from being to taking the next step to winning a national title. I know they've been in the playoffs. I know they've been close. I think a disadvantage they have is continuity, actually. You know, this is your third offensive coordinator in three years. That gets tough, man. I mean, that's these systems, especially mm -hmm. NFL-type systems, I mean, that's a lot of verbiage. That's a lot of things for these kids to learn. And, you know, nobody's getting time to grow. And, you know, you, you haven't seen year two of an offensive coordinator yet. Um, so, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I, it's almost like – you know, you know, it's just it's kind of unheard of. It's a unique, unique situation. Not not many places are have that. I think, you know, back to the Clemson thing. I think that's one thing that's kind of uh, helped them be as competitive as they are. They've had it, and it's it's uncommon because when you start winning, people want to hire your coordinators, and that's that's normal. But for some somehow some way, Clemson has been able to to keep that group together, and they've had Venables and Tony Elliott and Dabo and the staff in place for six, seven, eight, eight, nine years. I mean, that stuff you can't. You can't fake that. Um, just continuity in the building. Um, you know, Kirby's a, a great, strong leader, so I'm sure that it's all being, you know, it's still one vision no matter who's in there because he's such a strong leader. But the things that you can accomplish when you're more familiar and comfortable with each other, just, you know, you can't put a price tag on that. It might sound cheesy, but it really is truly invaluable. And I think I would like to see George try to have a little more continuity. Give this guy – if it doesn't go great year one, <laughs> you know, in this crazy offseason – have a little patience with the guy, you know. Um, nobody wants to hear that. Everybody wants to win now. But um, I think being patient in an age where everybody wants a quick fix is going to pay dividends uh, eventually. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's, you know, having continuity, I think is something that I've always pointed to why Clemson is so good and, and why that uh, Brent Venables has actually driven the coordinator uh, market up. I think he's over two million dollars, and I think if you're making two point two million as a coordinator, why why go be a head coach when you're in a great situation? So, I, I think that you know, as far as James Coley goes, I think there was maybe more behind the scenes than uh, things that weren't vibing um, with the program that than we know about. They had Jim Cheney for two years uh, before he left for a significant pay raise at at University of Tennessee. Mm -hmm. um, the thing with with Monken is, I, I think that they are uh, they hired a guy by the name of Buster Faulkner to come be quality control, and I think uh, Buster and uh, Todd Monken are very similar uh, styles and very similar uh, as far as offensive philosophy. And I, I think what what Kirby Smart is doing and what Clemson has done is they've kind of had some guys down in the system that they're grooming, so that when Tony Elliott gets a job, 
which mm-hmm. it's it's going to happen inevitably. He's going to get a, he's going to find that program that's going to be the right fit, and he's going to leave. So who's mm-hmm. the next guy? And 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 typically, when Clemson has promoted from within, they've had great success because they've done a good job of of grooming those guys. So I think that's kind of what the the I think that's kind of what you're seeing because Buster was a coordinator at Southern Miss. He was the offensive coordinator at Southern Miss a year ago, and they you know they they had all kind of production and and so. I think there's something like that because you know you know Todd Monken's probably not going to be around very long, given his NFL background, uh, and the NFL is such a transient league as far as coaches go. And then, for sure, you know he he moved around, and I think he wants another shot at running a, a college program. It you know that wouldn't surprise me at all, and I wouldn't blame him either. Um, and I think I think Kirby's going to be patient with Monken. I think Kirby knows the the stuff that's going on right now. Um, is not normal, so I think he's going to give uh, Monken a little bit more uh, leeway in that regard. So I, th- I think you're going to see, you know, this year, um, and unless it's a complete and utter disaster and, and Georgia goes 0-10 in this 10-game yeah. schedule, I think Monken's going to be around for year two. Year two is going to be the year two is going to be the, uh, the the blow the lid off the program uh, type year um, if you know if, if things are trending in the right direction, and then year three if Monken stays will be kind of like that program defining year where, okay, now you got your guy, he's promoted to quarterbacks coach now, or he's promoted onto the on-field role um, after, you know, one of your assistants leaves to be a coordinator somewhere. Um, and then Monken leaves after year three, new guy steps in, don't miss a beat. Uh, recruiting is buzzing at that point. And that's kind of, I think the system he wants to go with um, as far as I think he tried to hire it from within with, with Coley and maybe, you know, maybe didn't quite hit the right mix, but you know they're going to try that system again, and, and I think they're going to try to reestablish that. Yeah, um, Coley. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but he stayed on staff too as the assistant head coach, right? No, he's gone. He he's oh, completely he? gone. He he took a job at Texas A&M um, with uh, okay. Jimbo Fisher, and I think it, it might have been the article I read while I was brushing up on Monken's background. It was talking about how Coley had taken another role. It might have been before he went to Texas A&M, and kind of while they were finalize and everything i think the article was like a day after monken was announced so yeah um, they they uh so what they did with coley was they uh you know they announced that he was assistant head coach and then they kind of just it kind of made it very vague for a few weeks while they're i guess they're finalizing stuff with todd monken but uh yeah and then then he left yes it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that 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 isn't what happened because what i was going to ask you i was like man that's a really weird you know you know unique situation get demoted and then have a guy take your job and stay on staff that i was going to ask you what you thought about that because that was going to be pretty unique and pretty out of the ordinary so well it didn't happen so yeah Yeah, there you go (laughs) um he's now uh i think he's going to just be the i mean james coley is very good at uh, being a position coach and a recruiting ace, which there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. If if that's if that's what you're best at, that's what you're best at. You can make a great living doing that, and you can make a great impact in a program doing that. And and I think that's kind of what he what he's realized now. I think that's kind of what you know. Speak you know speaking to James Coley, uh, I I think he kind of, and and I think he I think he really had a good relationship with Jimbo Fisher. So I think those two yeah. factors probably played a role in that. Um, and and I think that getting demoted probably didn't sit well with him. Uh, and, and of course, Kirby, I mean, who would? Kirby I mean, nobody. That. Yeah, of course. I mean, everybody. Nobody would like that. Um, and you know, I don't think I don't want fans or anybody to think that I'm like criticizing Georgia about this turnover and stuff and the non the lack of continuity. I think a lot of it's been 
due to stuff that was a outside of the control and b totally explainable like you know if you get a head coach job at colorado or whatever like some of their guys have done you take it um especially if you've been waiting your whole life you don't know how many head coaching jobs you'll ever get offered it's hard mm -hmm. to turn those down um so through no fault of their own it's just you know i think that could be a piece of the puzzle that would really you know yeah. really like bring it all together for them yeah and you'd like to have you'd like to have those guys around i mean Pittman. The offensive line was so good because Pittman was there the entire uh, tenure of Kirby Smart. He yep. gets an opportunity to to lead the Razorbacks, which Georgia opens up with Arkansas. So we'll kind of see how he how he did it running fall camp. But you know you can't turn that down. You know I, I think Pittman his favorite place uh, besides Athens was Arkansas. So mm -hmm. I, I think if there there was ever a chance that he was going to leave, I think that was the one shot that was going to take for him to leave. That ended up happening. So, like, the perfect storm of him getting that opportunity, um, I think monetarily uh, and just circumstance-wise with James Coley, uh, again, another perfect storm with that. Uh, just just some factors there that, that lead to, you know, making making some changes here and there. Um, yeah. and, and I think, you know, that's that's kind of happened among the staff. And when you're successful, you're going to get promotions. Of course. And things, things like that. And, and, and Clemson, is, Clemson is not the norm. In that no, regard, definitely um, not. It's they, the outlier. They have, they have they have established a, a culture there, and, and and they pay coaches. I mean, that's just what that's just what yeah. it comes down to. They 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 they're not afraid to give you the raise to to keep you around, and and that you know that goes and, a long way. I mean, and you know, talks. credit to him too. Sometimes Dabo is not afraid to take it out of his own pocket to give it. To, no. You know, he's give, he's giving bonuses to coaches and stuff, and I mm -hmm. think that stuff's huge. You know, um, yeah, it is. So. But I, uh, and you know, and the other question I wanted to ask you too, just because you're you're way more dialed into the day to day of Georgia football than I am. I think the biggest thing I've seen concern wise from the fan base. When I say the fan base, it's all my friends I grew up with who are big Georgia fans. So that's what I'm talking about. I don't want anybody to think that I am studying the Georgia fan base writ large. It's just what I see my friends talking about or posting on Facebook or on Twitter. But you know, is uh, you know, a lot of turnover. Um, you know, uh, then you guys have kind of a run of transfers at one point too. I know Cade Mays left and. Um, that was kind of a big loss. Um, you know, you hate to see a veteran at offensive line spot go. Um, just overall, generally, where do you think the – where are your expectations for the season? Uh, are they hopeful, optimistic, hesitant? You know, how are you feeling just about the 2020? Now that we know we're probably going to get one, mm -hmm. and we now we know it's all going to be a 10-game SEC schedule. Now that all that stuff's kind of behind us, you know, what, what's your just, you know, your overall outlook on the season so right now? Overall outlook, knowing when the, the the schedule came out, I think it's extremely front heavy. I think if we can make it, I think if we can make it to our bye week, um, when I say unscathed, I mean uh, one loss or less. I think we're going to be in great shape to to compete for a national championship. Um, I I really I think this defense is going to be terrifyingly good. Uh, that was an adjective I saw, um, I guess on Twitter somewhere when I was just scrolling one day, and then I've I've used it ever since. Um, terrifyingly good. Uh, yeah. I, I expect, you know, the defense to rank number one in every category again. You know, I, I expect there to be a record of no hundred yard rushers against Georgia, no rushing touchdowns, and I think we're going to be even better against the pass because those guys have one more year of experience. I think uh, offensively, I think we're going to be a lot more dynamic, even though it's a new scheme. I think uh, Monken is extremely intelligent when it comes to being able to to make things fit. I think it's going to be a little disjointed at first. Uh, luckily, um, when I say luckily, I mean, you know, there's never an easy SEC game, but uh, Arkansas is probably on the, the easier end of that spectrum uh, as far as an opener goes. So I think that's going to help uh, having six weeks to prepare instead of just three for your opener. You know, it was going to be a tough opener 
uh, regardless because you have uh, such little time to prepare for, for a Power 5 opponent, which was originally supposed to be Virginia. Um, mm-hmm. Though you have... Uh, Who would have been little... very well coached, solid, mm-hmm. not going to beat themselves, mistake-free. You know, they make exactly. you go out there and earn it. You know, and they, Great they replaced... head coach. Yes, and they're replacing a lot too, but... Um, yeah. Still, still never an easy, never an easy way to open the season uh, versus like someone like Austin P or East Tennessee mm-hmm. State or something like that. Um, but you, you come in, you have six weeks to prepare, so you know you probably have the double amount of scrimmages that that you can that you can have to get these quarterbacks ready and to get these skill guys ready. So I think I think he's going to simplify it enough for them to be able to digest. But I think on the other end of it, on you know, if you're scouting Georgia, I think it's going to look like a lot more complicated than it probably actually is, which is good. Um, that's my goal as a high school coordinator is to make the offense look as complicated as possible, but make it as simple as possible uh, for my guys. and um, Especially the big guys up front. That's the main thing. Keep it easy for the big boys. They don't need to think. They just need to play. Exactly. Uh, how, we're, how many, we're, preaching the, we're preaching the same thing as far as that's concerned. Yeah, how many different ways can you run like three schemes to make it look like you have sixteen schemes, but you really only have three schemes for the guys up front? So, um, I you know to a very long winded way to say that I have huge expectations. Um, I'm extremely optimistic, and I think most Georgia fans will tell you that they're, um, you know, that they're extremely optimistic, even in the form of I don't know how we're going to do. That really just means we're about to pop off, and this is, this is going to be an exciting team to watch. I mean, Zamir White. James Cook are two electric people in the backfield. Uh, Monken also, I meant to tell you, uh, you know, or I meant to discuss with you about 20 personnel. You know, you can respond to that here in just a second. But mm-hmm. um, he does like to do 20 personnel type stuff where he'll line not only split formation, but he'll line those guys up. Like there was one formation, he had Edo Smith at fullback, and then he had the, the, the next tailback as a pistol tailback. And yep. he, he did some things where he, he sprinted out Edo Smith on a flare and then ran his uh, zone read, zone triple that way, where uh-huh. the the back, the the fullback, as, as I use air quotes, ran the bubble, and then the pistol back was was the was the dive guy, and then so it was really, I mean, it was a triple option, but really it was pull and throw, yeah, um, yeah. because because the way they had the formation is, um, if they had a pull read, they were going to have leverage and they were going to be able to throw it out there, so. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to be an odd season as far as not having fans in the stands. I think that's going to be something that uh, Georgia uh, teams like Georgia, LSU, Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee, uh, with the huge stadiums and and that that rely on crowd noise and that have heavily, um, uh, you know, have a heavy uh, ratio of fans in their favor at home uh, versus yeah. teams like Vanderbilt who have uh, heavy road fan um, ratios. So. I think that's gonna. I think that's gonna be weird at first. I, Definitely. I think, I think having the first big. I think having that first game as a as the longest road trip of the year. That's gonna be something uh, that's odd for them. But you you take all those factors in. Kirby Smart's a great coach. He leaves no detail unturned. So I think it. You know, I, I'm excited about the year. I think it's gonna be a big year. I think worst case scenario, nine and one with a rematch against Bama in the SEC championship game. Uh, however, they decide to to manage that. Um, I, I think that's what's going to happen, and then they're going to win the rematch, and they're going to get themselves in the playoff, and probably play against Clemson in, in the in the national championship. Before being honest, so um, I don't know if your friends are saying that. Um, I also read the UGA boards, um, and even even the boards are are optimistic, which is odd at this point of the year. Usually, it's you know show me you know we're going to be ten and two until you prove me otherwise, or we're going to yeah. be. 
eight and four until you prove me otherwise. And I think it's for for whatever reason the the, the tone of it is is different. Yep, you know, if you if you ask me to, you kind of you stole my thunder there just a little bit. I was going to say the same thing. I think this is a year we get a Clemson Georgia national title game. Um, I think Georgia will win the SEC. Uh, I think they'll. If I just had to predict, I think they might drop the regular season game to Bama and then get their get back in the SEC title game. Um, finally, get Kirby that Alabama monkey off his back, um, and I think it'll be Georgia Clemson national championship game. Um, so I expect them to have a great year too. And like you said, it all starts with that defense. Um, and I think if I, if I had, it's tough. Like you said, I think the most interesting thing is it's what, I I don't think people are going to understand how different it is that we're going to go play a football game in front of 10,000 people instead of 85,000 people tonight. Um, it's going to have an effect. What effect is to remains to be determined. So I think that's the, the uncanniness of the season is like, I think the biggest question mark I have, uh, in general, but even for Georgia too, like, How's that going to impact? Is it going to favor defenses? Is it going to favor offensive heavy teams? Is it going to favor, uh, you know, like you said, teams that don't have good home stadiums or don't? It's not too big of a home field advantage. Or is it going to, you know, or is it going to really hurt teams who like Georgia have ninety thousand in there, you know, going crazy every Saturday? So that'll be a big thing to look forward to. But I, like I, like you said as well, I have really high expectations for Georgia this year. For me personally, that would be a crazy, a, a crazy experience. You know, all my buddies and me would have a have a wild January if that ends up happening. So, yeah, um, my wife and I would have a wild January as well. She's a Clemson grad herself. So, oh, cool. Yeah, um, that'll be that'll be interesting. Also, uh, to, we we almost had that back in 2017, um, mm-hmm. but it, it ended up being Georgia Bama. So, um, I, I think it's it's something that's going to be exciting. I think ten straight weeks of SEC football. Uh, it's going to be gonna awesome. Be, I'm so ready, awesome. man. I'm ready. September 26th. Can't get here quick enough. Um, but Nick, I would be remiss if I, uh, if I didn't have you talk about your show before I let you go, you know, what can we expect uh, from the believe in the game plan show? Yeah. Well, it drops every Wednesday, uh, usually in that four to five hour. Um, so it's one, once a week, it's about 45 to an hour long. Um, it usually features uh, a guest. Well, it does every week. It'll feature a guest. Um, I try to get coaches maybe also it's not really just about the big names of the schools but guys who I think will be interesting or who are good communicators because that's what it's about I think that's the show is really tailored for young coaches aspiring coaches or really coaches at any level Um, and I don't even think necessarily just football coaches I think basketball baseball anybody who coaches sports teachers any educators I think would find some value in the show so um, you know it's been going where this will be episode 12 comes out on Wednesday so uh, almost three months now it's going well. I know you're you're we're on the same network, the Believe Network. Those guys have been great and helpful. So, mm-hmm. uh, and they have a lot of a lot of really good shows. I, I enjoy your show. Another one you guys should check out is uh, Believe in the Jaguars. A buddy of mine hosts that show as well. So, if you're a Jags fan, I know there's some crossover with Georgia fans. I, so. I have Minshew on my dynasty team, so I've been kind of checking them out as well. So, yeah, James a is one. a great guy. James is a great guy, and so is Phil, mm-hmm. the two guys that run it. So I've been working with those guys for they're, – they're who turned me on to believe. I've been working with them for years. So I always like to give those guys a shout-out too, especially if you're, like I said, a Jags fan. You, you, it's great content as well. But that's the Believe in the Game Plan podcast. Um, we're going to have to get you on sometime soon. Like I said, I got kind of a backlog of guests, but maybe in the next couple months once you guys wrap your season up, I'd love to hear how it went. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys said uh, you got a little delay, right, but you guys are going to kick off and get to play this year. We do have a delay. We were uh, our first available day of competition is uh, September eighth, which um, that's mostly talking to you know all sports. But uh, we will play our first game is scheduled for September eleventh. 
That's awesome, man. Well, good luck. I'm jealous. I wish I was playing this fall, but uh, it should make the spring all that much sweeter when we finally get back to it. Well, Nick, um, last thing, uh, where can we find you and your show on social media? Yeah, for sure. You can follow the show. It's at believe underscore game plan. Uh, game plan is all one word. Uh, or you can follow me personally at Twitter, and that's at Coach Trist, T-R-I-S-T, my last name. All right. So uh, Nick Trist, believe in the game plan. Check him out. Uh, you just heard him say his social media stuff, so check him out. Um, this is the Believe in Georgia Dogs podcast. You can find us at Believe in Dogs on all social media. You can find me, myself personally at Coach Burton 36 on Twitter. Um, Believe in Believe in Dogs is all platforms, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook um, as well. Uh, so, uh, Nick, I appreciate you uh, joining me. And uh, as always, go dogs. Yes, sir. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.